the energy the energy in the race is so incredible because all these women are out there doing that something that for them may be a stretch maybe a big stretch maybe not so much a stretch for some people but for a lot it is the hardest and most exotic thing they will do that year Welcome to the Dark Zone, an event racing podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatens. In event racing lingo, a dark zone is a time when due to darkness or safety, teams are paused on the course before continuing with the race. During that time, stories are exchanged, friendships are kindled, spirits are restored, and teams have a chance to prepare for the next challenge. We hope that you make good use of this dark zone. We're glad that you're here. Hello, Dark Zone listeners. This is Brian Gatens, your host. Um, our first Dark Zone episode in a little bit under a month. It's now August 2022, almost September, uh, closing in on the fall. It's been a great racing season for so many teams. Um, we are freshly back from Scotland, where we did Iterra. A lot to follow on that race. A uh, ton of fun. Great experience. Beautiful course. Thank you to James and Lisa Thurrow and their team at Open Adventures for a great experience. For today's episode, we are joined by Michelle and Liz Fauché. Uh, longtime racers, race promoters for Adventure Addicts Racing, and fans of all things adventure racing, Michelle and Liz talk about their intro to the sport, how they grew into being race promoters, and the challenge and enjoyment that they find in race directing. Listener note, our Wi-Fi signal breaks up just a little bit. Uh, not enough for a full edit, but just enough to be a little annoying. Hang in there, it passes quickly. Thank you for joining the Dark Zone. Uh, today's world doesn't lack for ways to grab your time and attention, and we're grateful to have you as a listener. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Thanks for being here. So welcome to the Dark Zone, dear listeners. Great to have you back. Um, we are joined today. Um, it is now August of 2022. Michelle and Liz Fauché of Adventure Addicts Racing have come onto the show. They are active in the central Virginia area. Um, a wide variety of races in our, our pre-interview prep. They listed five races at least that they put on. They're longtime adventure racers. They've been involved in the sport for quite a while. It's great to have Michelle and Liz on the show today. Folks, thanks for joining us. We always start in the same spot with our listeners. Origin story. How did you get mixed up in adventure racing? Take it away. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Brian. And thanks for having us on. Um, wow. I've been, I've been adventure racing since 2003. And I, I first got into the sport, like so many of my peers today, watching the Eco Challenge on TV, the 2000, I think it was the Fiji one. Just remember watching it, thinking, oh my God, this is this is awesome. I'd love to do this. I was finishing up a, a, another sport that I was actively professionally doing and playing. And I had retired and was looking for something else to get my competitive edge and keep me fit and active and I Googled adventure racing in the Northern DC area after watching uh, Eco Challenge and just came upon a couple organizations that were putting on races, jumped right in, absolutely fell in love with it, um, head over heels, sort of became obsessed with it. I think like like a lot of us that do um, for, um, and, and I was a, sort of in my mid twenties, late twenties. Um, so I had I had the time um, and sort of the means to, to really get into it. And, and yeah, I've about almost, well, the last, what, 15, 18 years, done a lot of races, sort of ebbed and flowed over the years and, um, don't race as much today as I used to back 15 years ago. I had a period of about 10 years where I raced 
a lot. I think I got a little bit burnt out at one point. Um, just doing, you know, every weekend, two or three times a month. Um, and, and then in 2012, a buddy of mine, um, Andy Bacon and I, we decided to start adventure addicts racing. We were driving home from a race one weekend, literally in the car on the way home. Um, and we sort of said, wouldn't it be fun to put on races ourselves? And within a week we had a name, we had filed for an organization. <laughs> we had the name of our first race and, uh, and, and off we went. And uh, that was 10 years ago, 2012. So, um, and I've just been involved in the sport ever since race directing, racing, expedition races. The big races are my favorite overall. Um, and uh, just helping grow the sport as much as we can, particularly at the grassroots level, getting as many people involved in the sports. Definitely something I'm really passionate about and have been since we started Adventure Addicts. And, and, that, and that follows a pretty interesting trajectory. First, I have to ask the listener, what was the sport that you played yeah. professionally? <laughs> yeah. I have so to I ask. was a professional tennis player. Okay. okay. Professional tennis player. Yeah. I played my whole youth, um, very competitive internationally juniors. Didn't play high school. I skipped that. That wasn't, you know, that was, um, I don't know what that, it was just, I was, I guess, sort of too good for it, so to speak. Right. I, I played international juniors, USTA. And then um, got recruited to play college tennis and did that um, and had a great time. And then the day after I graduated, I turned pro. Okay. And I spent um, about almost four years on the tour um, playing all over the place, all over the world. It was an amazing experience. Had a, had a good time, learned a lot and uh, loved it. And then I just uh, I kind of came to an end. I got tired of it, sort of burnt out a bit. Well, it's a bit of a grind, right? Um, yeah. It's the tour and every weekend you're flying somewhere yeah. and the pressure and all of that. Right. Yep. I, it's, it's it's not lost on me. And, and and Liz, we'll get we'll come back to you in a second, Liz. But Michelle, it's interesting how you excelled at a sport that was the size of a tennis court. And then you transitioned yeah. to a sport that's basically the size of like a continent. So good job on doing yes. that. Like basically, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Going from yeah. going from yeah. I don't I don't know the dimensions of a tennis court, but let's assume yeah. that I do know them. And all of a sudden you're running across landscapes and mountain ranges. So good yeah. job expanding out. So very yes. good on that. Very nice. Very nice. Um now, Liz, how about you? What's your what's your origin story? Um, I had three babies in a little less than five years. Okay. And okay. started running with some of the moms in my neighborhood. And then fell in love with mountain biking and all forms of cycling, gravel cycling, but mainly mountain biking and competed in that for probably five or six years and then needed a new challenge and started hooking up with the adventure racers in, in the neighborhood, um, in my little, in, within the, the DMV, the greater Washington DC area. Gotcha. Gotcha. And it's, it's yeah, one of these things and, where you, once again, you have the same trajectory. Right. You you well, first off, three babies in five years. Adventure racing is easy compared to that. Right. Now, Gaten's family had three babies in, in, in two years. So we could definitely know what you're talking about there. Um, and then yes. the fact that you found like minded people and it grew from there. Oh, it was great. And my um, I actually did the first Buff Betty um, that Andy and Michelle put on with my two children. OK. And they were, I think, at the time, 10 and 12. 
And there was quite a bit of crying involved, mm-hmm. but they did make it to the end. Right. And it is still something to talk about. Gotcha. Now, uh, the crying, I would, I'd say, I, when it comes to the crying, I say, but enough about you. How'd the kids do? But, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. The 10-year-old used, it to get, used an essay about that race to get into college. Okay. Very nice. Oh. Help out that way. I, I always yeah. take a, a line from Glenn Lewis and his son, Noah. Uh, came to uh, the trilogy put on by Naira. And Glenn was a big fan of the fact of putting Skittles on the course for nowhere to go and discover and find that was <laughs> awesome. so for the for the young parent out yeah. there who wants to get their children out there. It's not beyond uh, candy and Skittles and, and the occasional crying uh, to get on the course. And very nice that they used that college essay. So very nice. Excellent. Good. Absolutely. Now, um, and so obviously <laughs> the, the the two of you jumped into adventure racing with both feet and, and Michelle, you referenced this and Liz, I'll extend it to you a little bit also. Adventure racing as a hobby gets to be a pretty intense sport, right? We're lucky that we have a lot of choice, a lot of places to go race. Racing is very time intensive, gear intensive, um, mm-hmm. it's an, and it's an intensive sport. So it's not uncommon for people to dive right into it with two feet and kind of buzzsaw through races and then struggle on the, they get a little bit of a yeah. burnout going there. Did your, yeah, did, did the burnout come, did the, did, did adventure addicts as an organization come as a response to that burnout or were you just looking for a new challenge? Um, yeah, you know, I think it might have actually. Yeah. I definitely took a step back from racing. I actually took an, at one year, I think it was in 2011, I took an entire year off from racing and worked for Odyssey Adventure Racing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this was before we started Adventure Addicts. And um, I didn't do a single race that entire year, I remember. Um, and I was, but I was obviously working on a lot of races with them. Um, and so that was a really good break. And I I think, yeah, I think sort of without thinking about it, it, it definitely was a good transition between racing a lot and then starting AAR. Yeah. And then once I started it, started putting on a lot of races, you realize how much you miss racing. Right. (laughs) You get right back into it. You know, this is that balance. And now it's just a balance between our time um, and, and, and everything else in our lives. So. Well, that that doesn't work down to. I'm sorry. Let's say that again. Yep. We have a farm now. So so that's another bit of a time suck. (laughs) It's pretty much equal in time suck it to, to adventure racing. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. But yeah. That, that's on the, the farmer's own though. podcast. We'll bring, yeah. we'll bring yeah. you on. When we do the farm zone podcast. You can tell us all about that. <laughs> <laughs> so the, so <clears throat> let's begin with the, with the, with the, the personal racing. You, you mentioned that you've, you've done big races. When you think about the big races that you've uh-huh. done, what really jumps out of you from a memory perspective? <laughs> So I did uh, my biggest, longest race. I did PQ in 2008 in okay. Montana. Okay. And that was like the third year I'd been racing or fourth year. And we really, we really had no business being there. Okay. <laughs> um, it was a 10 day race and um, we, uh, God, we spent nine months training for it. Back then it was the big race. You know, the, the eco challenge was gone. There really was no ARW ARWS, mm-hmm. um, that whole organization and that really didn't exist yet. Um, and so that was the big one and it was on our bucket list and, and we did it and it was an incredible experience. It definitely changed. I think it changed my life. Um, gave me a new perspective. It took us nine days, nine and a half days. Um, and I had never been out West. I'd never been in the mountains that big before. Um, with the trekking and being in the snow and, you know, paddling these just 
epic rivers at flood level, thinking you were going to die. Right. <laughs> um, it was it was it was amazing. And I remember coming home and um, I was gone for almost a month. And I remember thinking that was wow. I, I just that that's it. Yeah, that's, I want to do that's that. A really big, that's a really big bite. Right. I mean, because Primal Quest yeah. and, and one thing I'm, I'm doing with the podcast, I'm definitely going to bring on some people when you break event tracing down into, into a series of time, there was definitely that mm-hmm. post eco challenge. Primal Quest was a very big bridge race where yeah. the sport kind of bumped along for a few years. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing, you know, we're seeing bigger races now. ARWS series is huge. And, yeah. you know, Ecuador just happened as a race in Scotland next week. We've had Oregon, we've had Canada, we've had endless mountains. There's Ozarks yeah. coming in next year. So there's this renaissance, if you will, in the sport. But Primal Quest really filled a gap in time for a lot of races. Oh, yeah. There, good was, of there was nothing yeah. back then. I mean, it was, and the fact that it was in the United States was even better. Right. You know, right. the idea of traveling overseas to an adventure race back then was like, you know, really? You, you would go overseas to go to a race? Um, and obviously now it's a whole different story and right. it's awesome. Yeah. We just, um, we, we really live again. Then, Once again, we live in this, this magic time in which races are just so plentiful. Um, yeah. and they're, and they're plentiful and, yeah. and the big races are, the big races are there, but also as mm-hmm. well, the, the smaller series races are there also. And so yeah. across the board, yeah. um, you know, one of the, one of the challenges of the dark zone is, and I've, I've heard this from listeners is that they enjoy listening to the stories about the big races. But in reality, yeah. probably 95% of the adventure racing world does the smaller yeah. races. They do the 6, yeah. 8, 12, 24-hour, 36-hour races. Um, and that's yeah. the thing for me to work yeah. on as I sort of go through the podcast. Yeah. Well, we think that that's actually one of the strengths that we bring to this organization is that I specialize in the smaller races. I've always done the smaller races. I'm the six-hour girl. And Michelle brings an, a point of view of the longer race, the expedition kind of race. And so when we put the races together, we bring both of those strengths to it. So on that point, yeah. when you when you build a race and you're putting a race together from a race director perspective and a racer perspective, where do you start the process? Do you start with like, do you have lands that you like to use and then you layer the mm-hmm. disciplines on top of that? Do you Are you always yeah. kind of trolling for good places to go and put races on? You're driving in a car, you see a big green patch somewhere. What's that? <laughs> Is that how you do it? Yeah. She is always looking I'm at land. Always. For where we're going to run. Always. Have it. I'll, I'll be driving out and be like, oh, it's a great place to put on a race. Um, you know, um, we just put a lot of maps. Maps. I'm sort of a fan. Um, we know the state really well. We like to move around our races. And a lot of it's just getting out there, um, checking out new parks. Um, it definitely takes some time. You know, um, but I love to explore and, and I love to go out and see things. Um, and usually we'll come, we'll come upon a venue or a, a piece of land or a public land. And, and we'll say this, this looks like, a, feels like a great place for a race. Um, I'll explore it, learn about the permitting process, talk to some people, figure out how land there is to work. But we, um, and then we kind of go always, from there. We always get permits first. Yeah. yeah, get the permitting. Yes, dialed in, um, and then, and then we really don't do anything. Permitting is is sort of dialed in and ready to go, and then we kind of go from there. Yeah, um, I think it's more toxic. And we do to like to move restart. our races around. Um, right. something that's done a lot in the last couple of years. Um, I, I we have a 
philosophy of having a race in one location more than twice. Okay. Um, and then moving. And I just think it it makes things a little bit more exciting. It keeps everybody on their toes. It keeps me engaged as the sort of the course designer um, for most of our races. Um, and there's so many amazing places to explore out there. So why not uh, move the races around as much as we can, which is what we do. And, and for those so. aspiring race directors out there, the most important thing to do, and, and you touched on this, Liz, yeah. is the idea, like, don't dare mention a race or an error without getting your permits done first. That's completely, that is a, a toxic, nothing is worse don't than having a land that. manager. We, we, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you yeah. don't, we at least have a verbal agreement with every land manager that we work with before we put anything on the internet. Yeah. It, that's, that's just how. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think that's a, I, I assume and I hope that that's sort of the standard. Um, it's definitely the safer way to go. Um, it makes us feel better, you know. Yeah. No. And also, too, is uh, you, you want to you build those relationships over time. You want to be able to go back there a couple of years later. And, 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 and let's be honest, the land management, the land managers, they speak with each other. Right. And so when you're working inside of a state. Oh, yeah. You know, All they, the time. Yeah. yeah. And you want and you and it's nice to say to them, hey, listen, I spoke with Jane Smith here give her a call and she could talk about how good it was to work with you. And so for the aspiring race directors yeah. out there, you know, you could have the greatest course in the world, yeah. but if you're not land management's not taken care of, pack it in. Cause it's all about the permitting. It's all about being able to use it. Oh yeah. It's huge. So, yep. And the land managers also move around. And right. so we have worked with land managers at various parks. And so it's always great. Our reputation tends to precede us. It's always great to work with a land manager at another park. It's been a very positive experience. Yeah. So you yep. mentioned before that you like to switch locations. You try not to go with it. Is it two years in a row you like to switch things around? Yeah. Yeah. That's just uh, uh, it keeps personal. It keeps me engaged right. um, as a course designer, you know, building the courses. Um, and it's certainly not uh, the way that, you know, one has to do it. Or there's a lot of great races that are in the same same location. Sure. Sure. And, you, and you, you have a massive piece of land to work with. And that's great. Um, but uh, I just like exploring and, and, and changing things up all the time personally. So. When, when yeah. you when you host and you, you host a wide variety of races and, and a large part of your races are about bringing people into the sport and about getting them yep. involved very often. I don't know if you have the data of how many people it's their first time doing an adventure race. And if somebody is interested in the sport and they want to get into it and they're listening to this podcast, what advice do you want to give them? What do you want them to know going into one of your races? Well, first off, they, they could absolutely do it. You know, um, there's so many I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of barriers to entry to our sport, um, which tends to keep people people away from it. Beginners, you know, the gear, the time, the the financial component of it. Um, and I would say just just sign up for a race. You know, as long as you as long as you enjoy being outside, <laughs> number one, right? Got to enjoy being in the woods. You're going to get dirty. You're going to get some spider webs on you. Um, as long as you have a good attitude, you know, you've done a little bit of research, you understand, you know, you're going to get a map, you're going to get a, a course, you have to move through it, you're going to have a teammate or teammates more than likely, and you you understand the basic sort of disciplines of the sport. Um, I, I would say just go for it. You're, you know, it, 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 what's the worst that's going to happen? You're... <laughs> 
um, you know, you're finished. You'll get to the finish line. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. It's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Um, but just, uh, you're going to learn along the way. You're going to make a lot of mistakes and you're probably going to meet some people at that race, you know, after the race at the finish line and you're going to have stories. You're going to talk. You're going to find out that, that it's their first race and they didn't know what they were doing. And then and then the next thing you know, you know, you're going to go to another race and you're going to see them again. And then it's just going to open up this really amazing community of people. Um, so I just I wouldn't I wouldn't be I, you're going to be scared. You're going to be nervous um, doing your first race. But just make sure you've done your homework as much as you can. Talk to ask the race director questions, you know, email them. There's so many resources today. The Adventure Racing Discussion Group, um, the USARA and all of the stuff that they've done. There's so much stuff out there to read and absorb and take in. Um, there's a lot of information. I, I, I think back to when I started. God, there was none of this. We didn't have anything. We right. barely Real, had really figure on your own. Back then. Yeah. yeah. Well, 2003 <laughs> you know? in event racing years is like 150 years ago. Yeah. Right. Right. It's like 19 yeah. years ago. I mean, I mean, yeah. I was laughing that you said that you went on Google. 2003 Google yeah. was like, you know, it was like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was like carrier pigeon. You know, there was, yeah, there, it was, right. it was you, you were basically talking to Sergey Brin on your own. He was sitting at the computer answering your question in 2003. Yeah. Right. And so it's one of these right. things where, the sport has grown over time, and I I think you're spot yeah. on. I, I I think you're, you know, you, you really summed it up, and and you can't wait until you're ready. If you wait until you're ready, you're never yeah, gonna go. Yeah. yeah, and and I would say the other big thing is is finding teammates, finding people that really enjoy doing it with you. Um, you can certainly take it on solo, and and I think a lot of people do when they get started, just because they don't know anybody. Um, but it's obviously so much more fun when you have a team with you um, and doing it by yourself. Um, and sometimes that takes time to to find people and find people that you fit with and that you gel with. Um, you know, so don't be afraid to reach out. Um, there's so many, like I said, there's so many opportunities out there to touch base with other people and get into the sport. It really, it really does give you a chance. And, and and Liz, let me kick it over to you there for a second now. As someone who who races those shorter races, which tend to be a bit more speed intensive, how do you find the teammate dynamic? You know, less time means you have to, you have to get across the course a lot quicker. Do you find that it's tougher with teammates on those shorter races, or do you find that the longer races are where it's challenging? I tended to race solo quite a bit okay. because the kids dictated a certain schedule. Um, and so I wasn't, I didn't, I mean, I was, I did a lot of training with a group, uh, which is where I met Michelle and a lot of the people that she races with and that I raced with, but for the most part, I was racing a lot of solo just because of the schedule. So in terms of the solo racing, and we're going to have Jesse Spangler come on after solo national championships. We already have him slated to come on. Okay. So, you know, Jesse Spangler, who I think, by the way, he's like the Terminator T1000, like God bless Jesse. And (laughs) yeah, he's going to pull back his face and he's going to be a, a, a cyborg um, with all due respect to your to your jesse spangler yeah. out there um i i think that the for, for what would your recommendation be having raced solo and having raced with the team if someone wants to get into the sport is it worth their while i could see a newer racer who doesn't know people go into the race as a solo because they they only want to be beholden to herself or himself right they don't yeah. want to they don't want to slow a team down they don't want to cause that challenge 
what's your personal opinion on that? Like, do you recommend a solo start? Do you recommend a team start? Like, what do you, and it, it may not be a perfect answer, but what do you think works out best for the beginner racer? The solo is hard. Uh, yeah, I, I personally think a team. Um, I, I think that's should be, or hopefully the way to go. Um, a, you're going to have a lot more fun. Um, and teamwork is, it's such a huge component of the sport. It's, it's what the fourth or fifth element that makes it so different than other endurance sports. And, uh, you know, if you really get into the sport and and fall in love with it and build your skills and your fitness and your nav, eventually you're going to need to be on a team, you know, to do those, to do the races, the bigger races. Um, and so I, I think if you can do that early on and, and just really find out how much fun it is and how much easier it is racing on a team, um, I think that's the way to go. Personally, I I actually two years ago um, during COVID, I made the decision. There weren't a lot of races going on at the time, but I decided to race solo for an entire year by myself, um, all the races I did. And I did it to challenge myself and work on my navigation to become a better navigator, force myself to navigate better. And I also did it to force myself to manage myself better and manage my time and my gear better and just get better and better at it. Um, and it was, it worked. It was a great experience. Um, my nav improved, but this came off of, you know, racing for an extremely long period of time, right. And having a lot of prior experience. So I had the confidence, I think, to, to know that I could do a 24 hour race. I did a three day, I did the C to C solo, um, that expedition solo. And that was, that was an experience that was wild. Just being out there that long for three days. Um, so I, you know, I sort of took the opposite, right. The other, other approach backwards, but it was very valuable. Um, and I've, I often say to a lot of our, our buff Bettys um, that chat with us and come back and forth with us about our race, you know, how do I become a better navigator? If I'm, you know, and I, I always say race solo, go out there and do a race by yourself um, and force yourself to, to you, to work on the map and the compass with no help, none of your teammates around you, none of the guys around you, they can't get you out of it. You got to do it. And um, if you're, and if you do it, I think often enough, it really, really helps. I, so. I've had the chance to race solo very rarely, but when I have done, it is amazing how, when you don't have someone to turn to and say, what do you think? How that becomes yeah. a really, that's a, because if you race with teammates, you always kind of have them as a, as a backup, like, and you have some, and all of a sudden it's you. And, and it was amazing to me how I just forgot how maps worked. Right. You're just out there by yourself. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you're like, what do we do here? Yeah. And so I think, I think that's yeah. spot on. And so I think from a navigation perspective, racing as a solo is the way to go. That being said, you're, you're, you're also accurate. The idea that the, the fifth discipline, the sixth discipline is, is how well do you fit inside the team? And what fascinates yeah. me about adventure racing, it might be the thesis, the through line of the, of the dark zone is it's a study of human nature, right? It's how people yeah. interact in these self-contained situations, right? You, whether it be yep. six hours, six days, 10 days, you become a unit and you have to move together as a unit. And then there's that whole, mm-hmm. yeah, and there's a million stories, right? Of yeah. where it goes well. You know, <laughs> yep. there's an expression I, I, I like to I like to say, you know, a bad race with good teammates ends up being a good race. Yeah, but a good absolutely. race, but yeah. a good race with bad teammates is a bad race. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's all sure. about how your teammates carry yeah. on things like that. And, yeah. and I'm sure as a racer and as race directors, you've seen the entire spectrum of teammate interactions. You know, they, oh, yeah. they, come, they come across the <laughs> yep. finish line and no one's really kind of talking to each other. Yeah. Right. They, you know, they're, they're polite. They're, they're, they're smiling yep. through their medals and they're taking photos, but you know, something happened on the outside of that course. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. right. No, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. The human inter- all of it. I mean, you could, God, it could, it could be a, like a college course yeah. just on the study of adventure racing and yeah. all the dynamics and so much about life and just everything. It's part of why I love it. Well, right. Cause it's yeah. the, it's the whole package, right? You get it. It all gets encapsulated yeah. into one thing. And therefore that's why yeah. we keep coming back to it. And that's yeah. why people, and yeah. some people just aren't into it. Like they enjoy it. They'll do a couple of races, but it doesn't really scratch that itch, but there's the yeah. people we talk to on the, on the podcast, it continues to be yeah. there. And, and there are phases of burnout, right? Where you do, mm-hmm. you, you step away from the sport, you come back to it. And then there's yep. that third level where you take your adventure racing skills and you become more of an adventurer. Like I know, yeah. I know four adventure sure. racers right now that are going out to Mount Olympus and they're going to climb Mount Olympus out West. And they're going to do, they're basically doing an adventure race stage on their own using all their skills. There's just no yeah, flags in the way. Exactly. That's not what they're chasing yeah. around. Yeah. It gives you a lot of options and flexibility. And I think, um, uh, the skill just to, to go out and do other stuff on your own right. because you know that you're, you're able to do it. Right. You know, it definitely builds a lot of those, that base. Um, I, I think at least for me personally. Yeah. And I think diving oh. into a, an experience such as adventure race, I think that on the other side of it, I think a lot of questions are answered for people in regards to personal capacity and what they're capable oh, yeah. of and what they can or can't do and things that they yeah. would never know otherwise. I mean, I also say too, how, Adventure racing has ruined me for other endurance sports where they actually tell you where to go. Like running yeah. a marathon now is like, oh, okay. Like, oh, I'll make yeah, a left of that. Okay, right. great. Thanks, guys. I'll see you in 26 miles. Where? Well, I, I kind of joke that that adventure racers are just a bunch of board triathletes. Right, right. Which, which is a <laughs> massively accurate statement. That might be the most, you know, <laughs> the most wise thing said tonight on the podcast. Um, so, so, so tell me about your races. I know you have the Buff Betty, the Chill, Adrenaline Rush, Race the Ridge, and Break the Habit. So there's a whole bunch of races going on. What has already yeah. taken place this year? So this year we've, um, we just did the Adrenaline Rush, um, which was our first race. It, we had it back in March and we did a 24 hour version of it this year. Um, it was the 10th which anniversary, was, which was great. It was our 10th anniversary. Um, it was the first time that race was that long. Um, and it was, it was great. We took a gamble on the weather <laughs> and, uh, it, it worked. We had a great day, great course. We were really happy with everything down in Southern Virginia. Um, and over the summer, we, we kind of tend to take a lot of the summers off just because of our personal schedules, but we have the buff Betty coming up on September 24th. Um, and that'll be down in, in Southwest Virginia at an amazing, uh, state park, and this year, um, just based on the the growth and the reception we got last year and, and all the great things happening in the sport, um, we've decided to have a six-hour race as well as a 12-hour that we've added this year for the first time, which we're which we're excited about. The it's you've seen with your with your experience in the sport, you talk a bit about the growth over time in terms of your own races as well as the other races that you've seen. Upward trajectory with racers, more people yeah. involved. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, we 
we definitely saw it with COVID, I think, and coming out of Eco Challenge. Um, we had, I mean, for the first time, we had races. Uh, in fact, almost all of the races that we've had, um, we had to, we've had to cap. We've had to put a number, you know, cap on the number of people we've allowed in. Um, and often that's dictated by permitting for us, right. as well yeah. as just the ability to get boats and things like that. And also um, the racer enjoyment. We want to make sure that we don't yeah. have too many people that just completely overwhelm the course. Well, th- th- this, yeah. is, this is my yeah. this is my obligatory Grant Killian statement. You know, I work one into every podcast and <laughs> Grant did Untamed New England back in 2018. He talked a lot about how there was there's only so many teams you could put on a single course and have the course remain the way that it is. Right. So if you go, if you go over X amount of teams, it basically becomes a, people are chasing each other through the woods. Right. So there's, there's a cap that you have to give. Yeah. 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 And and that's where we're not triathlon. Logistics, you know, logistically it's harder safety wise. Um, you know, the bigger numbers, um, and we're talking three, four, 500 people, you know, um, it's just hard to manage and I, it can be done. Obviously there are races out there. They do a great job. Um, they do it. a really great job. Um, our, our comfort level is, you know, a little bit lower than that. Yep. Um, it just keeps us sane. Sure. Well, we see that with, with rib up in Wisconsin, that, that Tim yeah. and Anna have 500 people at a race and it's a, amazingly successful and yeah you know, think, and they think, have it completely dialed in it's just right. not it would keep me up at night i wouldn't be able to do it right right and, and to your credit yeah. and, and and thank you for being a good steward of the sport right because we we all know the risk that if there are race directors that are out there that are maximizing numbers that they run the risk of danger right and so ethical yeah. race directors make those decisions to cap at a certain number You'd like to have 10, 15, 20 more registrants, but you pass a tipping point, which is not safe. And so, yeah. so thank you for doing that because you want, we want oh. sports above all, above all else. What's the, the old days when yeah. I raced bicycles? The first rule of weekend racing was be able to go to work on Monday morning. Like that was the first yeah. rule of a weekend race. <laughs> um, now, now the, the Buff Betty is a woman only race? It's a woman's only race. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, um, was originally one of the the only one in the country. Um, this past year, um, the woman of Bayard, um, they they put on an all women's race um, earlier in the year, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, it, it started many years ago. It actually was a series of races throughout the country back in the um, early two thousand or late two thousands. 2010. Um, and I actually did the Buff Betty. It was one of my first races that I did when it was put on by somebody else. And I actually took my sister. I dragged my sister with me. Um, we had a great time. I remember meeting Rebecca Rush. Mm-hmm. She was there. Um, they had brought her in to to meet everybody and to talk to everybody. And I, I'll never forget that. That was awesome. Um, She's actually one of my, one of my, my, my Moby Dick white whale guests. I want to get on the show. Oh yeah. That yeah. would be, that would yeah. be awesome. I'd love to have yeah. Rebecca. So um, Rebecca, if you're out there, yeah. I'll give you, 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 you could have, you could have a, you could have a Grant Killian spot. um yeah and so we when andy and i started um aar we i remember doing that race and i remember the impact it had on me i i used to talk to andy about it all the time i said hey there was this buff betty race i did they don't have them anymore the guy that put them on he kind of shut down um and moved on to other things so when we were starting adventure addicts racing we were figuring out our races and what we wanted to do. And we came up with the idea of, of contacting this guy and seeing if he would give us the race or sell us the race, which is actually what ended up happening. Um, and it worked. We ended up taking it over from him. 
Um, and in 2012, we brought essentially brought the race back um, and had the first one. And it was it was good. I mean, we had like 40 people. We didn't get a lot of racers. It was it was very small. Um, and it was snowing and it was snowing. It was snowing, of course. October. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was not ideal weather. Um, but we kept at it and we just sort of said, you know what, we're going to do this every year. We're going to have this race every year, regardless of all the other races. We're going to do it every year. It was that important to us. It sounds like that uh, is your flagship race of all the races yeah. you've listed. Like the Buff Betty is the top yeah. of the food chain for you. Yeah, it's it's it hits home, right? Um, no Being matter what female, other races we yeah. put on, we always have the Buff Betty. Yeah, I mean it. It is what it is what we do. Right. Yeah. In um, addition to all the other fun races, but this is the third special one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's obviously it means a lot to us. Um, never mind my you know beginnings in the sport, but also as obviously as a female racer, um, female racers and race directors being able to, to bring the race um, back every year and see it grow over the years. Last year, it was our biggest year yet. Um, and it was, it was awesome. We just, we had so much fun with it. It was so fun. Um, it was so fun. And uh, you could just see so the, let me ask you, what, what made it, what yeah. made it so fun as compared to your other races? The energy, the energy in the race is so incredible because all these women are out there doing that something that for them, maybe a stretch, maybe a big stretch, maybe not so much a stretch for some people, but for a lot, it is the hardest and most exotic thing they and, will do. And isn't that, that great? Year. Isn't that great that we get to be a witness yeah. to that? Like that is one it of my so favorite parts fun. of adventure racing is you, and and you're really kind of putting a, putting a fine point on that with, with the Buff Betty race is that you're mm -hmm. creating an opportunity for people to learn that they could be more than they actually are. Yeah. Right. You're yeah. creating the playground for that to happen. And as a result, yeah. and then you're a witness to that. It's a great, yeah. it's the greatest thing in the world. No, it's a great, it's a lot of fun. And we've seen, I think this will be the sixth one we've put on. And we, there's a handful of racers out there that, that are racing today that their first race was the Buff Betty. And now they're doing expeditions, you know, and it was sort of their launching into the sport. Um, and that we, we love seeing that. Um, and they, you know, year after year, we always have the, they come back for it. And a lot of our racers for the Buff Betty, it's the one race they do every right. year. And right. that's, that's it. That's their race. That's they have it. No interest in doing anything else. This is it. They they get their friends together for the weekend. They leave the the kids and the spouse at home. Right. And it's it's just their time to have fun, um, to be out out in the woods. Um, yeah. And so like Liz said, the energy, there's something special about the energy. Um it's uh it's just different. Um and yeah. And we always make sure that we have one of the races is an entry level race. So right. this year we have a, a six, seven hour yeah. and a 12 hour. And we make sure that the six hour is can be done by anybody who can read a park map. Gotcha. So there's nothing super technical. It's just that's the fun day out in the woods. And right. then this year we have introduced the 12 hour, which is definitely going to be a little bit harder, a little bit longer, a little bit more technical. Yeah. Do you do any sort of pre-race um zoom calls mentorships do you connect newer racers with older racers do you send out like how do you you want you want your racer to have a good experience right and you want people to yeah. and and even if they don't come back because not everyone comes back but at least you want them to enjoy the experience for what it was have a good time decide that this isn't necessarily my thing 
but I leave with yeah. no ill will towards the race, right? What do you yeah. find as a race we director? Done, we have always done for the Buff Betty either a workshop. Um, when we were up in DC, we would have an in-person workshop, and now we do an online workshop prior to the race that anyone is welcome to join. Gotcha. So it is. This is what a, an orienteering flag looks like. This is what the map looks like. Right. All yeah. of our maps we keep online, so they're welcome to go and look on past races and see what our maps oh, look like. That's a good like. idea. And so in reality, uh, everything everything they're going to see at the race, they've pretty much kind of seen in one form or another. There's no big surprises that morning, with the exception of the learning the course. They don't. The there doesn't. There doesn't have to be. Yeah, all that information is available. Um, we get emails. Where I'm happy to. You know, often I'll respond and I'll basically write like a novel. <laughs> you know, you know. Michelle, I only like asked a simple question. It's like, I, I asked, what's an orienteering flag? Through the race prior to the race so that they, yeah. there are no surprises for the newer racers. This Got is it. what you're going to see. This is what it's going to, what you're going to need. This is what it's going to feel like. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. But I also think that with the woman of AR and all the, op, you know, the opportunities on Facebook and social media, there's a lot of information out there now. And so we're seeing that um, there's, there's other places to get info and to find out what's going on or, Hey, have you done this race? And, and so much, a lot more than there was definitely 10 years ago. And so um, that's definitely helped, you know, sort of get the information out there to everybody. And I always like to talk about this. And and once again, I always desire to be corrected if I'm wrong here. But I always like the fact that when you look at the the start of adventure racing, the 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 beginners, the beginning race directors of the sport decided that the premier division in the sport was going to be a mixed gender division. That you that you had to have multiple genders on a team in order to be considered inside the prize win, inside the winner. So you could certainly run single gender teams if you want, and those teams could take part. But if you want yeah. to be considered to be on the podium prize money, it had to be mixed gendered. And I think yeah. that looking back, that was an incredibly the, the the rock in the pond of that decision X amount of years later. We're, I think we're sitting here today looking at the result of that. Right. Because yeah. if it was yeah. if it was a single gender sport at that time. And let's be honest, it would have been a male dominated sport. But that's. Oh, yeah. I think it would look very different today. Right. Too, right. If it right. was only male from the very beginning. Yeah. So uh, I, I always talk yeah. about how I want to get people on the show. And if you're out there, feel free to contact me who were there at the very beginning, at the raid in the beginning and were at those mm-hmm. early eco challenges. And I want them to tell me those stories yeah. about what the early. Look, first of all, the videos are fantastic. I mean, eco challenge <laughs> Morocco. Oh, my yeah. goodness gracious. Those people with the camels and then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> trying to get the boat and the, the Japanese team loses their maps. And of course the team from New York city, you know, my, yeah. my, my, my birthplace, they get knocked out first after bragging about how well they're going to do like take that New Yorkers, yeah. like the whole package. It's enthralling stuff yeah. to watch. Um, so I'd love to talk to yeah. somebody who really knows the deep parts of the sport about that because the mixed gender component was, was, was genius in the long run because yeah. that's why we're sitting here today. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So, yep. so what you do know. you see from a, a, a as two people who've been deeply involved in the sport for a lot of years and your race directors and your racers uh, and, and, and recognizing the fact that that the women of AR and, and growth of, of female participation in the sport is growing over time. What trends are you seeing in the sport that might strike you as being good for the sport or bad for the sport? Like, what do you where do you kind of see us trending as a as a as a as a as a sport, as a as a group of people yeah. who are into this? 
What do you think? Um, well, obviously, there's you know a lot more diversity now, which is fantastic um, across the board, and I think that's only going to grow and get better. Um, I think. Well, I think the overall communication, I think, and the information about a lot of races via websites, you know, social media, Facebook, I think is really great um, across the board. Um, you, you can get lots of information about all the different races from the past and really make some good decisions on what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Um, I think the live tracking has been great, yeah. personally. We, we've used Mark um, and Adventure Enablers now for every race that we've put on in the last two years. Um, and it's been awesome, even the shorter races. And we're going to have live tracking even for the 12-hour Buff Betty this year. We're going to do live tracking. Oh, that's great. That's um, great. Um, As a safety officer, it makes yeah. me feel so much better to have eyes on these right, races. Right. That's Especially if, if those are the newer racers, too. Right. You want yeah. them to be, you know, Yeah, and we we did live overnight. we did live tracking last year for our eight hour buff betting. Yeah. And they loved it. And you know, it was it was like, well, why not do why what makes this different than any other race? Why not have the live right. tracking for the eight hour buff betty? It's just as special and it's just as important as every other race out there. Right, right. Um, and that's kind of how we see it. Um, and that was great. So I think live tracking has been awesome from a safety standpoint. Um, from publicity, from publicity, just yeah. growing the sport across the board. Interactivity, very interactivity. Important. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know the nationals this year in out in California. We just had Yishai Horowitz on live tracking, obviously for nationals, thirty hour race. But alongside yeah. that, they'll have live tracking and live commentary. And yeah. I think, and I think that was Endless Mountains saw that Rootstock Racing Endless yeah. Mountains. We saw that in Oregon. We saw that in in um, in Canada. That there yeah. there appears to be this this growing trend. And I think the technology is really catching up to the sport um, or maybe even the other way around is that you could now literally, there are people that will sit and watch a live tracker and then we'll create, they'll synthesize it for the general public that's out there and talk about it while it's going on. Um, Mm -hmm. I agree. I think that's, and so yes, as chief safety officer, which bring everybody home safe and sound, but how great for people to go to work on Monday morning and then mm-hmm. see their their GPS yeah. track. And, and oh, who yeah. doesn't love looking at a track and being like, oh, that oh that was where we went wrong. That's where it was. And there's mm-hmm. that post-race analysis that takes place. Yeah. And then you can also watch, you can watch yourself wander around in circles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, get, and get like that close. GPS like directly yeah. in the middle of where you go around in circles. Yeah. yeah. We just had that in the main summer adventure race, uh, checkpoint oh, 30, yeah. 39, where we, nobody went, went all the way around the lake. You know, the classic, we saw something shiny. We went there. We thought it was wrong. It wasn't yeah. it. And eventually you're like, which way to the road? And you walk south until you find a road and you give up on that checkpoint, you know, which is the yeah. fun part. The the fun and aggravating part is looking at your success and doing the post-race analysis. So that's yeah. the good. And then there are hundreds of, hundreds of people who were yelling during Endless Mountains to a certain team <laughs> that could not find a checkpoint. <laughs> we're just like screaming at our computer screens. Yeah, everybody. Right, everybody, and then yeah. of course, in, <laughs> out in Oregon, there was the one team that will go unnamed, but what the the lead navigator wrote a book about navigation, and he walked off and off and off and off. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I don't want, I don't, was- yeah, yeah. I want to send him a copy of his own book, and you know who you are. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so. I, and, well, well, Take sleep deprivation for that one, I think. Well, that's yeah. what that is. Well, that's, well, that's what you see. And you really see how when you, when you get deep into a race and you see with a 24-hour race and 36-hour race that eventually it catches up and teams just make those yep. wild decisions, wild, wild decisions. So so that's all the good we're seeing in the sport. 
Are, are there any concerns you have? Anything that's jumping out of you that you want to sort of say out loud? You want to look in your crystal ball and say, hmm, this is something we should keep an eye on. Um, oh, gosh. Not, not really. Um, I don't know. Liz? I think there's some wildly divergent views of safety within the sport. And I, I wish that there was a way to codify that a little bit better. Definitely. I think one of the, one of the, and, and I don't think this qualifies as a negative, but I think the point you're making is this, is that race directors are primarily independent operators, right? And they're yeah. designing the yeah. races that they want or how they want to design them. And different race organizations have different attitudes towards what they will and will not ask racers to do. And because, yep. and, and I, and I think we have to be careful though, because the secret source of the, of the, of the sport is the fact that you have these divergent approaches to race design and things oh, like, yeah. like, 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 we're not, totally we're not, like, like with all due respect, yeah. we're not triathlon. Right. And so we have yeah. to be careful about how we do that. But to your point, I, th I think you're, you're making there, Liz, is the idea that like as someone who's the safety officer, you sometimes probably blanch at some of the things that you see teams go through and things like that. And in other races, right. And you want to be able to turn up the safety dial a little bit. I don't want to dumb down the sport. I don't want to say that that's what I'm trying to do, but mm -hmm. I have literally woken up in the middle of the night to look at a tracker and said, Oh good. They're not dead. Gotcha. I mean, it was that I was that concerned about the safety of some of these races of, of a specific race. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, no yeah. way. I, I love hard things. I think hard things are very important to right. people individually to grow and also for the sport to grow, but I wish it was codified just a little bit better. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that's, and that's a fair point to make, right? Because we want to, ultimately we want to give our, our racers a good and safe experience. The difficult thing is the fact that there's, it's a sport that's inherently dangerous and so we have yeah, to, we yeah, have to absolutely. accept the, the danger level compared with the safety level, but you're right. And I think that's kind of a hitting a moving target, but I think you're spot on is a legitimate thing to people talk about. I, mm -hmm. I know for myself, one thing I, I see that I think is really good for the sport right now, but, but could be a problem down the road, but is that the fact that the race directors are doing a really good job respecting the individual areas that they all kind of operate. That, mm -hmm. that, yep. that, that there's, there's this. There's this USARA has done a really good job creating a federation, you will, of different race directors. And for the most part, everybody, yeah, yeah. everybody respects those informal boundaries that have been set up about like no one's dropping a race next door to you on September 24th called the Buff Mary. Yeah. Like no one's doing that to oh, you. Yeah. Right? They're not. Yeah, that, that's a good thing, too. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I think we all we all communicate, you know, we, we send out emails, at least in the mid-Atlantic and up north. Obviously, we, we're in an area where there's a high concentration of race races mm -hmm. and race organizations. Um, and we definitely try to work with each other um, on the races. And um, we, we've had to move races in the past and other people have. And it's all very friendly and everybody's just trying to um, make sure that you know, everybody has the opportunity to do everything if right, they choose right. to. And I agree um, that there's a lot. like to race as well, right? So. Well, right. Yeah, exactly. And we want to, and like, yeah, like, 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 don't put your yeah. race then because I want to go race it. Like, change yeah, that date. Exactly. Right. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. So as, as the two of you look down the road a little bit about your own racing, clearly Adventure Addicts Racing, AAR, really good spot, right? Five successful races, Buff Betty doing well, sports growing, your numbers are strong. What do you want to do? Personally, I know I know that you're farmers now. Congratulations on that. But like, <laughs> but like, what what races? What races do you yeah, have? Yeah, no, I you yourself. You're gonna I have, get to. I'm always I'm always up for the big big expeditions. I'd love to go to Africa in next year. That would be amazing. Um, personally, um, and uh, just like to travel a little bit more for some big races. 
Um, uh, keep working on my navigation. I, I've done, I've, in the last couple of years, I've gotten into a lot of trail running. Okay. So I've done a couple of few ultras, um, ultra trail running. And I'm, you know, there's a, a, a race in December that I'm eyeing. That's uh, very challenging and difficult. You have to actually have to get picked to get into it. Okay. Um, so I might throw my hat in there for and, trail running for a trail running race and, and see if I get selected. So that would be kind of a fun challenge for me. Um, yeah. Um, but I'm always, I'm always up for race and I'm, I'm doing the, um, Eastern mountain Adirondack challenge in a couple of weeks. Oh, Eric, Eric, the Eastern yeah. mountain wilderness challenge. Yeah. Wilderness right. challenge. Right. Which yep. is a, and for, that, the, for, for the listeners out there, that is a 30 hour five yeah. checkpoint. So five checkpoints yeah. in 30 hours yeah. in the Adirondacks, yeah. which are up in yep. New York state, which is a, a wilderness park that is the size of Massachusetts. That's yes. people don't realize how big it is. And you're doing the inaugural one. Very nice. Are you, yeah, are you I'm, solo or team? I'm doing it on a no, three person team. Okay. Who are you um, racing with? Who's your team? I'm racing with my buddy, Paul Morris, who did the endless mountains with me. Okay. Um, and then another um, friend of ours, uh, his neighbor who has never done an adventure race before, but we, <laughs> are, but he's an incredible paddler. Okay. Great paddling background. He does a lot of pack rafting. Um, he's a bit of an outdoors guy, outdoorsman. So please you um, fit right in. He'll be fine there. He where he's he's gonna have a great time. Yeah, that's gonna be <laughs> a great gonna... race. Yeah, yeah. Eric, Eric is I'm doing a really nice it. job with that. That's gonna be a lot of fun. And credit speaking of permitting, credit to Eric for getting the Adirondacks yeah. to permit him because that's a tough place to get permits. I would imagine it would be challenging. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. wonderful. And yeah. the good news is you're and and so Liz, the good news is that tracking is re, is is not really it's you'll be able to track along the way put it that way so you're so we, yeah. there'll be, no, there'll be three o'clock in the morning checking the checking the computer to see where they are yeah. um, and, I, and anybody out there who's listening i've been up to that part i've been on, on parts of that course um oh, it is okay absolutely beautiful you're gonna it's absolutely you're gonna have a great yeah. time yeah fantastic well, i time. like the idea that it's very different than yes. anything else out there that's really yep. appealing to me. I think it's very creative. Um, and I, I haven't been up there, but from what uh, my buddy Paul spent a lot of time there, that's racing with me. And I know it just seems like an incredible venue for that specific type of event. Yes. yes. Um, and just pure wilderness and, and just a little bit different. I think we're going to go into it more as an adventure versus a race. Right. More right. so than other, other races that we've done. Well, it has um, that, it has that, that 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 feel of like the Patagonia expedition race, which is like yeah. three three checkpoints over two hundred miles. Yeah, right. One of those those vibes, right? Where yeah. you're, it's not yeah. like you're hitting a yeah. checkpoint going twenty five feet and up a hill and down a dale and finding another one. It's gonna be oh, we got yeah. one checkpoint. It's gonna be six hours to the next one, right? Yeah. And you have to, and that's a and that's a well. Oh, I'm so excited you're doing that. You're gonna you're gonna absolutely. Oh yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So so what's yep. your what what is the what's AAR's take on the use of pack rafting in races? Do you think that's going to grow with your oh, I sport? I think it's great. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Um, I think it's a really big barrier to entry, which is why we haven't done it. Gotcha. Yeah, with some um, of our smaller races. Yeah, I, I don't. I would be hesitant. Amazing. I would be hesitant to add it into a race under twelve hours. Yes. Personally, and they're also they're slow. Um, they're slow. Let's be honest. I mean, uh, the fastest you travel in a pack yeah. on flat water, you're averaging three miles an hour. Yeah. Right. No, so it can if, be painful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so if, if you're so in a, if you're in a twelve hour race. race Right. Yeah. Depends on the race and it depends on the water, the body of water. Right? right. You one of the things I someone told me years ago um is 
uh, at Odyssey Adventure Racing is you want to design all your race courses around water. Right. Right. The, the ma- most adventure races have paddling. And so you have to figure out where the paddling is for in order to design the race course. Yeah. Um, you, you, and, you have to back in the rest of the course. Yeah. Around the paddling, the trekking and the biking is easy for the most part. Um, and so it definitely opens up the options and the course design and the creativity um, with pack rafting, which was never there before, which is awesome. And right. um but I think for personally, I think it's it's great for the longer races. I would say anything 24 hours and longer. Yeah. yeah they did it last um, year when Rootstock have... had the, the Two Rivers Adventure Race. They had the pack rafting section yeah. on the third. And it was great because you had that beautiful trek up and then you put it in and you had to come back down the river. It was a really good use yeah. of pack rafting there because you couldn't have yeah. done that without. There was no way they were going to get boats up there. And yeah, exactly. teams would have been stranded at the top of that ridge. So, But they descended mm-hmm. and they paddled down, which was really, really yeah. good to go. So logistically, it makes it easier. It's also cheaper, quite frankly, for the race. I mean, for the race organization, right. you know, it's it's um, that definitely helps. Um, Boats are a high percentage of our cost. Yeah. yeah. So I, I love pack rafting. I have one. I've I've been getting into it. I think it's awesome. Oh, it's the greatest. Um, yeah. yeah. And if you have the yeah. if you have the yeah. whitewater <laughs> deck, and if they do, I mean, it's I do, a lot yeah. of fun in big water. Uh, it really is. Yeah. And the thing about pack rafts too is that they want to stay upright. They want, yeah. they, they want it. They, they're very yeah. for, for, for newer boaters. I found that they're very forgiving. They, they're much oh, better yeah, than kayaks absolutely. that way that they want it. They don't, they don't want to flip over because they're so big and they're so buoyant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I definitely sure. agree with you. I think that pack rafting is, I, I think that there's a place in the sport for them. I, Liz, I think you're spot on that in the shorter races, the, the return on the investment of time is just not there. It's just, it's, you spend so much time in it. That being said, you mm-hmm. know, when you design courses around water, if pack rafts can be carried in backpacks, a lot of choice there for racers, right? And so yeah, you put a lot exactly. of points out there, figure it out, folks, and, and go get them. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. no. sure. Great stuff. And so the and so you, you mentioned the a lot of things you want to do coming up here. Going into the future with AAR and going into, you have Buff Betty coming up, 2023, yep. you're looking at the same slate, you're going to add a bigger race on, and you're not sure yet. What, what, do, you, what, what do you envision as the future uh-huh. of the organization? Yeah, we're not, we haven't really talked about 2023 yet, honestly. Um, seems so far away. <laughs> um, we'll probably keep some of the existing races. I don't think we'll, we'll be adding any races. Um, I don't think we're going to really venture off into anything over 24 hours. Um, we've, we've thought about it in the past, um, doing some bigger, bigger events. Um, but I think, I think we'll stick with the shorter, the shorter guys. Um, and we tend to rotate through the, our roster of races. We yeah. did one year, we did six races in one year and it was way too much. Yeah. Yeah. That's so a lot. Yeah. The sweet spot for us is two to three races a year. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we might, we might bring the adrenaline rush back again, a 24 hour in the late winter early spring we'll see um and uh, maybe with, throw another one in with you with your race to chill with the idea of having a obviously it's a winter race right yeah. do you, do you mm-hmm. find do you find that that's do you enjoy that race because people are coming off a of winter where they're stuck in their homes and they want to get out it's a good thing to do like <laughs> like do you find is that a natural yeah, I, I enjoy it because i get to work on the course in the winter when there's no snakes and no spiderwebs of course <laughs> A dream. What more do you want? <laughs> I, I love being outside in the cold, actually, in the winter. It's like my favorite time of year in the woods. Um, 
but yeah, we that that race is is great. People really enjoy it because, like you said, it's early season. Nothing's it's happening. Not, it's not right. designed around water, so we have a little yeah. bit more of a leeway to where we can put it. Gotcha. Yeah, we can we can be a little bit more creative with it because we don't have to deal with the paddling. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, people definitely early season off the couch. Like, let's just see how I'm doing, how my fitness is. I think that was one of the, the first races to come back post COVID, right? I think you're the yeah. one you it was February yeah. of 21. You that had was, it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was still COVID. It was still, yeah. COVID. It was still COVID, but it was, yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. double the workload to have a, co- a, a race put on during COVID. It I was, yeah. I remember that. Everything had to be done. It was twice as much work. Yeah. It was that, worth it because it was so great to see everybody again. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah. I'm down for that. I mean, it was like, it felt like a family yeah, reunion. So you know, we'd been stuck yeah, in our homes yeah. for the better part of a year. And it was, and it that was, was a huge reunion. And that yeah. was the, the absurd, the, the, the travel was that we, we, we had a, we couldn't leave the tri-state area. So we had like leave Pennsylvania, live in Jersey, Pennsylvania, drive in to do the yeah. race and drive back. To, we couldn't I, get remember, out of, I remember yeah, that. Yeah. Couldn't be out of the tri-state area. We had to be home in like 24 hours. Yeah, we had to right? go. Yeah, we couldn't get lost on the course. Um, well, listen, <laughs> you two have been an absolute pleasure. I thank you for all you do for the race. Yeah. On behalf of, 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 of women racers that want to get into the sport, Buff Betty, I know, has a special place in, the, in many people's hearts is coming out there and you, you do a great service oh. to the sport. Before I let you go, Anything else you want to say about event racing? Anything you want to close on? No, just give it a shot. It'll change your life. It's uh, it's it's the greatest. It's the greatest thing out there. It's the best sport in the world. Get your kids into it. It'll change. It'll change their lives. Um, tells you everything about yourself. Um, it's just uh, yeah. It's just amazing. Once again, thanks to Liz and Michelle for joining us on The Dark Zone. Great episode, great people. Get out there and support Adventure Addicts Racing, the Buff Betty, and all the great work that they do for the sport. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Dark Zone, please head over to your streaming platform of choice and give us a rating. It's the best way to pass along uh, the interest and the attention to get us out there to the adventure racing world. We love what we do here. We enjoy talking about adventure racing, always looking for new guests, new ideas. So feel free to reach out to Brian at ardarkzone.com with your messages and ideas. Love hearing from you. Have some great racing. Be safe. See you soon.